Hi, I'm Danny Green, and welcome to Fearlessly Australian, Episode 2. I'll be having an amazing conversation with two pretty incredibly talented and brave blokes. Well, back in the day. The world record-holding freediver, Ant Williams. Just gorgeous. Then looking around, there's just nothing to see, just darkness, you know, but it's so still. I loved it. I'd do this pattern of one breath every 15 seconds for a couple of minutes before I dive to just slow everything down. I was like, it's simple, but I don't know it. But but having the discipline to do it, um, it would change the way I would think about the fear. It changed my whole outlook and my optimism. And rugby league legend Nathan Hindmarsh, who played for Parramatta and in several State of Origin series. Now Hindmarsh is away. Hindmarsh outside the 40 metre line. They've had a couple of games at him. He's down 30 metres out from the Queensland line. There's the times when you've got to build resilience without, you know, yourself. You know, you've got to, you've got to try and, you know, work on things yourself before you know you go and seek your help. They'll be talking about times that they've had to dig deep and find strength from within. I drove home that day and that's when I started crying to my wife in the kitchen and she said look I've we've had enough of this. As in not not in a not in a bad way but you know we've got to start we've got to do we've got to do something about it. And that's when I did Nathan Hindmarsh and, and Williams, um, welcome boys. Um, it's, you, a, it's a pleasure Thank to have you, you here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to having a chat here today. Obviously, I've met you um, back in 2005, Hindy, and we have a bit of history there. Yep. And uh, and I was when I read about you were going to be on the podcast, I was super excited also because um, you know I'm really into you know what you're doing at the moment. So we'll get to that later. Nathan Hindmarsh, Danny, um, it's good to be here. Played rugby league for the Parramatta Reels in the National Rugby League for 15 years and now work for Fox League on Fox Sports on Foxtel. So yeah, family of four, four kids, four boys, ages 15 to five. Um, yeah, that type of stuff, mate. So yeah, keep them busy. Yeah. Pretty pretty humble there, Heine. Oh, it's, many, no, it's many, no big How many NRL, sorry, how many um, State of Origin caps? Oh yeah, I suppose. I played... Um, 17 state of origins for New South Wales. I suppose. Oh, yeah, I suppose. 17 <laughs> well, it's, New well, South Wales. I suppose. But see, um, from where I sit, Heine, that's what makes you uh, a great because of your humility, mate. Yeah, well, you're super humble. I got to play, I got to do a job for a living. I got to do the, uh, play sport for a living. So, and it, I, it's what I wanted to do. I was doing it since I was 18, left high school. So for me, it's just like saying I was a builder or a, you know, a, a chippy or a sparky or a plumber. It's exactly the same. You know, I, it's what I did for 15 years and um, I was thankful I got to do it for 15 years and got to represent my country and my state and travel the world to play rugby league. It's, it's something I don't really talk about too often, but yeah, we're here today to have a bit of a chat. Here's the strike. Get over. But if Parramatta were to get the points tonight, you couldn't finish it on a better note. Thanks, mate. Ant? Yeah, I'm Ant Williams. I compete in a sport that no one's ever heard of. It's called freediving. It's basically when you go out into the ocean, you run ropes down into very deep water, and then it's a competition to see who can go the greatest depth, retrieve a tag, make it all the way back to the surface on one breath without blacking out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I know it's not for everyone, but it's a it's a sport that really challenges the mental side of your game. Like you don't have to be the fittest bloke. You don't have to. Uh, it, it's a sport where men and women are 
genuinely equal in terms of their ability. And um, yeah, you don't have to have the biggest breath hold or the best technique to be able to go super deep. You just have to really know how to be comfortable with your own ability to cope with some of the pressures and the, and the discomfort that comes with diving that deep. How's that feel? It was nice. The descent felt really good. I was comfortable. Um, it wasn't bothered by my temperature. Uh, just really nice but slow descent. So the wetsuit I'm wearing it felt slow. It's like, oh well. So lovely, I got lots of breath, so I just drifted and drifted and then, and then I had my alarm go. And I thought, oh, I'm sure I said it's 55, so I gotta, I just keep going the call. Oh, there it is. <laughs> See, <clears throat> excuse me, this, yeah. is, this is something that I've been battling my whole life as a young bloke from the age of 13 when I started surfing, 48, so 35 years surfing. And that's something that's it's been a, I think it's been a barrier for me and also for my son who's just started to, to surf now, my, my little man Turbo, he's on his way and he's he got held down maybe a year and a bit ago, about a year and a half ago, held down. And it wasn't a major hold down, but for him it terrified him and I was watching from the boat, I was like, Oh man and he's totally cool. I was laughing at him. And then um and then that really scared him for a year. That really pushed him back. And so now for me to talk to you about a few of these things, I, I'm I'm really interested, mate, because I find that I find it's pure fear for me to be held underwater. I think it's almost every person in the world's fear, apart from a very, very limited amount of people like yourself and the people in your industry. It's radical. Yeah, I, I see it as like, I'd call it a primal fear. So primal meaning that it's something that you're born with. Like it's this innate sort of alarm system that you're born with that you know, like if you put your hand near a fire, it's going to freaking hurt. And it's the same with, you know, being stuck underwater where you can't draw a breath. It's frightening. And because of that, it's common to all of us. We've all held our breath in the pool or something when we maybe shouldn't have. And we know that feeling, that welling up, that fear inside you that grasps you when you can't draw breath. And so for that reason, it's a sport that doesn't attract many um, competitors. <laughs> but it's all about mind control, isn't it? it it's not all to panic. Because I, I don't surf. And I don't I frolic in the water. I don't go out too deep. I'm a frolic. Okay. Um, but yeah, everyone says like, you, the people I've been surfing with, because I, I, I admire surfers. You I wear do. A tube pointing? No, I wear the arm ones, hey. <clears throat> arm floaties. But no, I because I've always I've wanted to learn how to surf, but I've been too scared to try it enough. You know what I mean? So, and they always say if you get held down, just don't panic. But every time I've been held down, and for me, being held down is like for for ten seconds, and I'm flipping and flailing and all that type of stuff because my brain won't let me. Relax. I just can't. It'd probably be about two seconds. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's it. But I, but I just can't. I can't for that, for that sort of thing. I can, I could have run and ran and ran and ran until I spewed and spew over myself at training and do things at training. But I'd get, I could push my brain to do that, but then I couldn't switch my brain to stop me from panicking. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a weird thing. I don't know. It's it's one of those things like rugby league's not for everyone. And I suppose surfing is not for anyone either, but I would never be able to, I, I couldn't surf purely because of that. And the fact there's sharks stinging things and tides and <laughs> rips and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it's, I, I've never been able to do it. I you just, sound like you're from, from America, mate. 
shark stingy things, you know. Like grew up on a dairy farm, mate. We had dams. I never, never went anywhere near the coast. I tell you why. I did. I used to try. I tried bodyboarding once. I was about year seven, and I caught the bus down to Wollongong. We used to surf Bombal and minnows and and North Gong. Got held down at North Wollongong uh, twice, and I was, all I see, all I could remember was the bloke, the, the surf lifesaver bloke coming out to grab me. Mm. That's that scared the shit out of me. That did. So that put me off of there. Sold me bodyboard. Sold me man of, <laughs> man of fins. <laughs> what is being fearless and what is being fearless in Australia in 2021 mean to you, mate? Mm. I think it's actually very simple. I think being fearless in 2021 uh, as, as an Australian is actually about being able to live your best life, the best version of you. It's about being courageous to to live in a way that lifts yourself up but also lives others, lifts up others up around you. Um, and I think it's a way of doing something in a community where you, you feel part of that community and, and you want to make sure that others in that community uh, feel safe uh, and, that, and that everyone's getting an opportunity to be the best version of themselves. Oh, I just genuinely think it distills down to that um, around when it comes to being fearless as an Australian. Beat that, Heinley. Do I go now? Oh, no. <laughs> I had exactly that written down. No, um, fearless, what's fearless? I think for me, it's being able to adapt, being able to change. Um, that's the biggest thing. And, and, and also, I suppose what we just spoke about, facing our fears a little bit as well. You know, there's, 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 there's times in our lives when we don't want to do things, but we know that changing that and doing that thing is going to probably be beneficial for us down the track but it's about biting the bullet and being able to do it and um and yeah it's it's been also to being able to face disappointment you know as well because there are there's it's it's not an easy life we all know it you know there's ups and downs there's there's bumps along the way but being able to you know if things aren't going your way being able to ask for help you know that's and as as men today i think we're lucky we're in australia because we're we're a nation that's it's growing so differently in that space where we're 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 telling blokes at our you know around our age and younger to, it is okay to to put your hand up and ask for help and I think that's that's courageous because because Australians have always been known as the tough guys you know the you know the hard workers you know the the yobbo knockabout blokes who you know we don't show our emotion we don't show our you know when we're feeling down and out but you know I think it's that's Asking for help and seeking help and talking to other people about it—that's being fearless for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree, mate. But I, I like—I I think as Australians, I feel—I fear that we're losing that old school mentality. I really enjoy the fact that not enjoy. I think it's—I like the best of both worlds. Yeah. So have that, and then also what you're discussing is having people, as particularly young blokes, being able to go, "Hey, I'm not doing so well." Can I have a hand whilst maintaining that inner ruggedness, yeah. but also putting your hand up or reaching out when you need help? I yeah. think there's a fine line between being, you know. There's, there's, there's the times when you've got to build resilience without, yeah. you know, yourself. You know, you've got to, you've got to try and, you know, work on things yourself before, you know, you go and seek help. I, I, I agree with that you've got to build resilience. You, do, you honestly do, and um, and I think as Australians, we're losing that a little bit. But in the same time, it's hard for those young people because we're trying to tell them to go out and seek help. But we're also too we're sitting in here saying, no, you've got to still build your own bit of resilience as well. So and that's weighing that up, weighing that, that, that that's a tricky thing. 
it is it's the change in their terminology because i think it's it's to be resilient is serves you really well up to a point but then if if that point is when you need some help i think often we think of resilience as not i can push through anything i'll man up you know that sort of attitude where it's actually now at this point i've actually got to share this with someone you know and 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 show some vulnerability and i think when we talk about vulnerability because that's talked about a lot now in society you know show vulnerability and i think as as a guy it's actually hard to do that especially when you've got parental figures that you know nah, nah, you know it's just about tough and toughing your way through it so, but i agree with you Danny. is the point where you kind of go no nah, i've got to be able to do a bit of both you know have a bit of mongrel to me in terms of being able to push through challenges to build resilience but i've also got to be able to speak up and go hey um, i want to talk about how that made me feel or, or what i'm struggling with at the moment and having the people that you can reach out to to do that with that you trust i broke my leg as a as a 16-year-old on the rise and missed out on a whole rugby league season, junior representative rugby league season with the Eels. And, you know, I could have given up then. I was going to give up then because I was at that point in my young career where that was that year meant everything when it came to being scouted by first-grade rugby league teams, coaches from other teams looking at you as well as your own club. That would have been terrifying for you. Well... I went home. Like, I was living in Sydney at the time. Not terrifying. I shouldn't say terrifying, but, no, but it, it extremely was, it concerning. Was, it, was, it was a concern. It was a concern. And I went home back to the back to the farm for a while, and I moped, and I sulked, and I felt sorry for myself. But I had a good support network around me, which I was very grateful for, being mainly my mum, who gave me a bit of a kick in the ass. Well, it was, wasn't like she, she never babied us at all, but she gave it. You can, she can sit here, and you can whinge and sook about it, or you can pull your finger out and go back to Sydney and show the coaches and your trainers that you're willing to train even though you're in a in a, in a cast. And I, I did that. I went, oh, you know, I slapped myself around the face a little bit. Mum gave me a bit of a slap as well. Yeah, travelled up and down to Sydney. It was only, you know, two hours up, up each way. But back in the gym, started lifting weights. Only. But, yeah, and then and that was it. That's just sometimes you need a bit of a kick in the ass. And my mum did it. But it was one of those things where... If I probably didn't have that, I'm getting off track a bit here, but if I didn't have that bit of support there, I probably wouldn't have gone on with it. No, you're right on track because I guess for a lot of young blokes, particularly young blokes out there and young women, they don't have that support. They they have that family unit or that that mother or father or central figure in their life too. Give them a bit of a, a bit of guidance, and, yep. and your guidance was was a bit of a kick in the butt and tell you to stop moping, which was obviously word, mate. Your mum, your mum knew, you know. What she's to a smart woman, my old girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't tell her that though, but she's. she's <laughs> <laughs> now, I was going back to Heidi being um, about similar similarities between you two guys, in as far as I think your. Um, toughness was was here physically. There's no question how tough you are and how big your heart is and how big your balls are and your mind to overcome that. But it was all yeah, big, yeah. very big testicles. Um, that's why I was always sneaking around. Look at them, big coconuts. Funny the iPhone was around back in the day. Um, um, but yeah, he, he, I think mental, as I said. But your, your yeah. toughness, obviously, you have to be very physically. In, in prime condition to do what you do, but you can only get to that condition through pushing your mind. So it's all mental strength for yeah. me. And looking at what you do and just thinking, holy heck, how do you how do you do that? Yeah, fear's a really interesting one. Like I think it either it either propels you to, to do great things or it just debilitates you. And fear's something that I've had a lifetime obsession with. So growing up 
um, I I was kind of always always saw myself as really risk adverse. I, I didn't really take on big risk. I would only surf small waves, never anything above sort of head height. And I looked at guys that would surf in big waves. I go, oh. These guys are legends. And look how calm and relaxed they are when they're taking on these risks. And it dawned on me one day, I'm a total fraud. Like here I am training all these people how to scream around a racing track faster, jump off taller cliffs, I don't know, scream down a, a ski slope quicker. But I haven't done anything like that. I haven't even succeeded in a regular sport, let alone a dangerous one. So I thought, I have to answer that question for myself. Can it be learned? So I looked around. I thought, okay, I'm going to find a sport, and I'm going to I'm going to choose one that's more dangerous. So I looked around. There were two sports that caught my eye. There was bullfighting in the South France, or there was free diving. I was like, right, definitely not doing bullfighting. So uh, I figured, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to see if someone will teach me how to do this this free diving sport. And it did petrify me. I don't, I don't have a big breath hold at the time. I think I once got to two minutes, as you know, in a car, you know, not driving, but you know, just sort of having a competition with some mates. I thought, I, I want to learn how to do this and apply everything I've been teaching about sports psychology to this to see if um, I can overcome some of my own fears. And what I found is that rapidly, even at the age of 30, I was able to transfer this. And within two years, I was at World Championships. In, uh, in, in the first World Championship, I ended up coming third in the world and diving. And how long did you hold your breath for there, buddy? Well, I dived down to 70 meters on a day that was um, really rough conditions. So normally in the... In, Seven times the bottom of a diving pool. I can't even run 70 meters. No, nah, like dive pool's five meters, mate. So it's 20 times. What um, about ears? In the ears, yeah. I've, oh, so I had to train how to get my ears to equalize on the way down. That's where you kind of put some pressure backwards towards your eustachian tubes and, and get a little pop in your ears. It's very hard to do past 50 meters because on the way down, all that air is getting compressed and crushed. And like literally by 50 meters, your lungs are the size of a grapefruit. And then as you continue down, you've got no air left to equalize with. So you're storing all this tiny little bit of air. There's nothing left in your lungs. You're storing it in your cheeks and using your tongue as a piston to move that air around your head and just get a little bit of a pop in your ears so you don't rupture your eardrums. You're doing it, aren't you? You're trying it now? You're good. No, 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 this, is, this, is, this is crazy. But this if you get awesome. it wrong, you've got to turn around. So, yeah, you're all alone down there. It's very isolating. I mean, being deep underwater in the open ocean and pitch black darkness is one of the most isolating things you can do on the planet. You know, you're so alone down there. There's no one waiting there for you. You can take a torch. But the thing is, when a torch is shone underwater into black water, it reflects nothing. So it just, just shines into nothing. So it doesn't give you any sense of comfort. At best, you'll just see a little kind of, I don't know, like a, a few inches of rope in front of you. And you go, oh, cool, I, I know I'm I'm moving. Are you hanging on to that rope? No, you're not allowed to touch it. Oh, you're not allowed to touch no, the rope. No, 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 so you've got big ass flippers and nothing else. No, just big ass flippers. Get down the bottom, grab your tag, get out of there, get it back to the surface. And that experience of, of learning how to do that has genuinely taught me about, about myself and how I cope with fear and, I, and, and what I found out I didn't like. I found that I actually get very afraid. I was finding I get very afraid by 50 meters. And it would, you know how you talked about, oh, held under by a wave and I hated it. And I know I'm not supposed to panic, but I just didn't enjoy it. It was so uncomfortable. So I used to get there to 50 meters all the time and where I just couldn't go any deeper because that small amount of fear translated to a tight jaw. And then I couldn't equalize my ears and I'd have to turn around and very frustrating. And that fear prevented me from, from going deeper. So it took me a long time to get past that to be able to, uh, to get deeper yeah. to I was actually going down sort of just 80, 90, 100 metres. So, you, so, you're, so you're a sports psych to begin with. Yeah. So what do you – do you take anything out of your sports psych stuff into your daily life? 
that you would teach. So is there anything you would have taught one of your athletes that you bring into your daily life? A lot of things, a lot of things. There's so much that we know about how to deal with fear and anxiety um, that can help you get through. I mean, the, the, some of the things are already really out there. We know them, right, about slowing down your breathing. Um, and so one of the things I learned really early on was to breathe. I breathe four times per minute. So about 15 seconds to breathe in and out. So I kind of go six seconds in, hold it for a few seconds, take three seconds to breathe out and then wait a couple more seconds and then that's one breath. And so I'd do this pattern of one breath every 15 seconds for a couple of minutes before I dive to just slow everything down. I was like, it's simple, but I don't know it. But but having the discipline to do it, um, it would change the way I would think about the fear. It changed my whole outlook and my optimism. And then the other thing was your ability to really relax. So to be able to just on the way down and while I'm diving, when, when this pressure's mounting and the discomfort's here, is to shut everything down. And that's kind of similar to life as well. I think often we're taught when things get hard and get rugged, you should puff up your chest and go toe-to-toe with people and you know show them what a man you are or you know how tough you are. And I often find that that's not the best solution. I think if you take a step back and you get perspective and you ask and you try to understand what's happening, and then you can be better pressed to navigate your way through it the more relaxed you are and the more in control. Yeah. Hey, Heidi. What about what was some of the what sometimes in your in your career, apart from when you broke your leg when you were sixteen, you told us before that you were like, nah, I'm 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 done with this, or I don't I don't, or did you ever have those moments where you, I don't think I can do this? I'm not good enough. Was there any fear there, in that respect? There were instances. There were there were a couple, but they were only brief moments. Like so, when I first made. New South Wales Origin squad, you know, going into that going into that first Origin camp with all these big name players, and I was only one of the young ones in the side. Who were the big ones? Oh, Andrew Johns, one of the greats. Uh, Brad Fittler, another great. Those sorts of players. So you go into camp with them, and you're one of the fresh faces. And there's there are times in there when you don't feel like you belong, and you kind of doubt yourself and you second guess yourself. Um, but again, that. For me, luckily for me, that that feeling didn't last too long because I was in a group with a, gr- a great bunch of blokes who were very welcoming and all that type of stuff. But um, that does go through your mind. How old were you, Andy? Uh, I was 20, 21 oh, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was quite lucky because I never took – it's going to sound bad. I never took it that serious to be in that position where it was the end of the world until the time I came to retire. And then that's when it, that's the hardest part. Because when I retired, oh, there, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an emptiness. There's a, there's, there's no, and I was just blank and I was, it was really strange. Couldn't explain it. Got, got, got to a point where I was working for the NRL at the time, going in there from a, I went from a 15 year career running around outside playing rugby league to sitting in a desk, at a desk job, sitting in a car two hours every morning to get 15 minutes up the road usually. And um, it was doing me head in. And I was on the phone to my wife, bawling my eyes out, coming home, crying, not knowing why, had no idea, all these different emotions going through my head, um, still missing the game, of course. I was recently retired, missing mates, because you do get a feel of disconnection because you're not in that in that bubble of, of players who you see every day and you're working it for the same goal together. And you're striving the same things, and you're you're picking each other up when each other is down. And I was thankfully I was in that sort of 
you know that uh, that scenario for so many years because I could I could go to training and they would one of my teammates would know when I was having a shit day and he would generally ask a question. So we were doing things as a playing group before pretty much society and looking after each other became a a big thing. You know, like remember Luke Burt used to come to train. I could just see by his facial expressions. Luke yeah. Burt, I played most of my career with, champion bloke. But I could see on his just on his face, just how he would frown that he wasn't having a good day, and I'd, you know, mate, what's going on? And he'd, you know, open up a bit, and as soon as they had that conversation, it was like, it was a two minute conversation. You could see that the, you know, weight was lifted off his shoulders. Go out, and we'd start training together. So I was lucky I was involved in that. But when you're not involved in that, you are lost. And it's I had kids at home, love my kids, but, and I just. You know, I thought I could just take it on. I thought it was just going to be an easy progression from retirement to, I'm going to say, normal life. Normal life, because a lot of people didn't think that playing sports, you know, not a real job. <laughs> but it took me a while, and I had to go see doctors, and I was medicated and all that type of stuff, and I learned to found out what triggered certain emotions. Um, alcohol's over excess. Alcohol's a big thing for me. Uh, diet and exercise a big thing for me. And just learning to find out what triggers these emotions in me to make me feel the way I do was a big thing for me. And that's it helped a lot. But I had to go see professional. And that was a scary thing too. Going to actually, because I, I knew something was wrong, but then admitting to someone that it was wrong, that was a, that was a bit of a, and I don't know if I should be saying this, but it felt like a low point. Because as we spoke about at the start, being that man, being that, that tough guy, sort of Aussie image, you know, telling someone that you're not okay is it's, that was a hard thing to do. And then you take these tablets. No, I don't need to take any tablets. And I didn't for a while, and nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. But then, as soon as I, you know, got on the meds, mate, it was I oh, was a different me, different me. So, but I, I'm not on them now. But I know what's going to trigger it, and I know in the back of my mind, well, I've, I'm, I'm heading down this path. I'm heading down this path towards. A bit of depression, anxiety, right? Time to time to you know refocus, time to decompress. Let's let's start get back on the tracks again. And before it goes that far, I did put my hand up heap because I was asking so many questions because I wanted to try and figure out what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until after I drove home that day, and that's when I started crying to my wife in the kitchen. And she said, "Look, I've we've had enough of this." As in, not not in a not in a bad way, but you know, we've got to start. We've got to do. We've got to do something about it. And that's when I did. But. Um, yeah, just yeah. No, man. You, I don't you, know. Look, it's it's that's and that's what this is about. This is about f being fearless and and talking about it and being open with it. Because you know you come from that old school background. You come from a tough, you know, rugged, you know, macho environment of NRL football. Whereas now you're one of the ones that's leading the way and going, no, no. Yeah, I'm tough. I'm macho. I'm a, I'm a hardcore dude, and I was a Trojan on the field and at training. But away from that, I'm just a human being. And, and, and we need to talk about this. So, mate, I think you're going to really um, resonate with a lot of young people out there in Australia watching this. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Uh, what about... I don't, um, know. I don't take compliments well, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't. Nah. Every time I come in, you see you look very handsome, behind you. Nah, just, well, that's fearless. What you're telling us now is, is is 20 years ago, 30 years ago, never. No, you wouldn't have told us that. No, not a chance. No, that's how. Nah. That's how... The, the, the pendulum's kind of shifted a bit and, and, and you're open to talk about it, which is, which is A, brave, but it shows how, the society, how our society's changed. I mean, you're one of the toughest, hardest blokes playing the game of NRL, which in itself is a hardcore game. 
but you're talking like this. And 20 years, 30 years ago, can you imagine, rest in peace, um, Tommy Radonica's talking like this? Well, yeah, that's, but like, that's, but that's, how, that's how generations have changed. Yeah. Like, and our, and our kids, they'll be different again. You know, they'll be, you know, look what's happened in the last 24 months here in Australia, or even longer, yeah, three, four, five years in Australia in regards to, you know, same-sex marriage, you know, equality. Or it, it, it's, this place has changed so much. So it's having that ability to adapt and change for yourself as well as everyone else around you. It's a big thing. I, I, I'm, going, I'm going off track here, but I became captain of the, the Eels late and created another captain who Nathan Kalis was captain for a long time. I took over the reins when he retired. And I was so used to being coached a certain way or being led a similar a, a certain way. When I became that leader, I was continuing to do what I thought was... And I gave the team a massive blast and, and picked out a few individuals within the team in front of everyone. And then I had one of the young players come up to me. He was playing first grade at the time in the team. He came up to me and goes, Nathan, I don't, don't, really, don't really like you talking to me that way in front of the team. And I went, are you serious? This is... <laughs> This is this is rugby league. This is not. This is a this is this sport's not for everyone, buddy. You got to start. You know, I'm gonna. I don't give a shit who you are. That that was my. Mm. And then I had Luke Bird come to me and said, "Mate, nah, it's it's time for a change. We've got to start. You know, adapting, changing. Not everyone liked to be coached the way we like to be coached. So I was. I liked a dictatorship. I liked to be told this is what you do. You go out and do it the best. If you stuff up, you know." It's your ass type of thing. And then I had to really refocus my last couple of years and, well, I have to handle him different, I have to handle you differently. So I, I had to learn that way as well. And that's how I've taken on this whole new change of Australia because it's, it's, not, it's not the Australia we used to know. And I can see you, you're, you're, you're an old Australian like me. But it's time we we have to change. We have I'm thinking, to change. I'm thinking I would have told that guy, mate, get your boots. Well, that's, and off. that's pretty much what. Take your boots. And that's off, pretty mate. much what I did, you know. But, but then I, but it took someone else that I respected to sit me down and say, nah, it's time, it's time we've got to change. When you're feeling um, mentally strong, so when you're kind of you know peaking and you and you got your shit together and you're feeling really, really good upstairs. What's different? What's different in your day to day life? Oh, for me, I think just confidence. Yeah, is is a big one for me. If I'm if I'm on, I'm I'm confident because I'm not I'm not naturally a a confident out there sort of person. You know, I've had to I've had to. That's one of those things I've had to work at to because I was quite the you know straight face people over there. I'd, I was standing over here. I was quite happy to do that, but. Been in the sport I was in, and the you know the the role I have now at work, it's important that I've I've got to deal with those situations that are uncomfortable for me usually. So when I'm on, I'm I'm confident, um, I'm chatty, um, I'm organised, I'm organised, and I'm you know I'm diligent. That's that's when I know I'm on because when I'm off, people will know when I'm off. Friends will know when I'm off. Phones doesn't get answered, you know. Emails don't get back in time, you know. All those sort of things that things start crumbling around me and those sort of stuff that that sort of stuff starts to happen to I'm me. I'm hearing you, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, you. and and then I get into a bit of a I get into a bit of a, a vicious circle. You know, I'm you know, things will start happening. Diet will start going off. Drinking habits will start. Those sort of things. And yeah, yeah. yeah. But when I'm when I'm good, I'm I'm good. And when I'm bad, I'm 
Beautiful. So I know, uh, so yeah. send your message. So hey, hey Heidi, we um we 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 on for this weekend, and three weeks later I'll get a message back. I better check in. And well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that, and my and my close friends know that. Yeah. My, my close friends know my scenario, my 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 situation, uh, and that's I know I was and I, same with my which we didn't touch on. I know we don't have time. Same as my gambling. You know, I, had, I was a problem gambler growing up, going through my career, bad gambler, um, and it wasn't until I told teammates. And told people that I knew that the the, the 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 issue became a lot easier for me to overcome. So, and that's probably another story for another day. But um, it was about finding that support network, you know. And it's one of those things where I've, it was a bit embarrassing because you know I'll go back again to run around on the footy field, you know, for eighty minutes doing things I couldn't wouldn't think about my brain doing, pushing me through those physical barriers. But then I'd sit in front of a poker machine and couldn't stop myself from pushing a stupid little button on a machine. So. It's amazing, but a lot of those things you've touched on, we'll see, like everyone will see elements of those in themselves. Like it won't be the same things for everyone, but that um, that kind of withdrawal or that isolation feeling and moving away from others when things are getting bad or you're not feeling great about yourself, like all of us will identify with some of those yeah. things of when things are going bad for us and we probably all cope in different ways but retreating withdrawing that's probably something that i do i find if i'm if i'm experiencing anxiety or not feeling great about life and the opposite of that that rule you know those moments where you're bouncing out of bed and you got that inner fire within you like those are the days you live for i think if you if you're if you were, if you kind of um, your true north is, am I happy at the moment? And are the people around me happy? If that's your true north, then just knowing when you're having those days where you're doing those behaviors, you call them triggers. You know what's triggering me to 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 behave this way or to go back to the slots? You know, it's um, there's something that's triggering you, and, and and courage is actually slowing down to go. Is that, that thing's pulling me away from happiness, and yeah. I've got to get it back. And knowing that it's within my control to be able to do that, not somebody else's. It's in your control to do it. Yeah, great to have help. But you've got to force yourself. You've got to kind of force yeah. yourself to do it, yeah. though, yeah? Yes. Yeah, you've got to force yourself to be around people. And then that, 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 that helps the situation because you're, you, as you're not standing on off mm. the side, you know, being by yourself. You're, you're in amongst it. Yeah. You might not be listening too much, but you're still in amongst it. I'm the same, man. I put up this. Mm. Withdraw, phone. I'll get back to it later on, you know, be cool, sweet, you know, whatever. I give the grog up a couple of years ago because, you know, I was enjoying it too much. Beer, I just drank beer, drank too much beer because I was always fit and training. Yeah. And I could wake up the next day and, you know, wouldn't look like I'd be on the piss the whole night. <laughs> and, and then, then you, you retire. Then you retire, it all, that all changes. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, well, I didn't drink it. I, I would go long spurts without it when I was fighting. Yeah. And then I'd get on it. You know, have a month on the piss and go. Yeah, let's let's have a good time. And then when I gave it, a, when I stopped fighting, you know, it was just become too easy. You know, and the Irish, the Irish jeans, and he, you know, was pretty thirsty. And then hyperactivity, I always had a beer in my hand, so I was like, you know, it was never, it was a bad, con- bad combination. I tell you what, after what I've heard from you guys, so I reckon I've learned a few things that I could take into my sport. I mean, that I, I love just your ability to be so open and be so vulnerable and share what you've done. I don't think I've ever been good enough at doing that around actually talking about the things that. Slow me down and make me um, uh, my weaknesses. You know, you know, like everyone, I got plenty of weaknesses, but I'm not as forthcoming as, as you are um, at, at sharing those. I, think I really, yeah. I really like. But that, that doesn't change who I am. You know, no, I've got no, weak. Like everyone, I know that. That's what. I, 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 and I, sometimes I feel, you know, for me to to let people know that, you know, 
it does make it does it makes me feel better because I've, I'm telling more people. I don't know why. I don't yeah, know why, but I'm and it's it's not uncommon. You know what I mean? It's not, and and you don't have to live with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you can you can find out what the problems are, and you can and you can work through them. That's that's the thing that I hold on to. Yeah. Thanks for listening to episode two of Fearlessly Australian. There was some pretty honest, emotional stuff back there, but I reckon we learned a thing or two about our guests and maybe even ourselves. I thought Hindy talked really openly about his struggles and the importance of asking for help when times are tough. And he reminded us of the value of having good mates around you and not other people who might lead you astray. And how about that fella Ant Williams? What a bloke. He taught me a thing or two on breathing and how that can help us find emotional resilience, mind over matter, when we need it most. So it's goodbye for now, but fear not. Other episodes of Fearlessly Australian are available.